Hey, Storm Freaks, it's Phil, and the historical Category 4 Hurricane Ian has just made landfall, and we've got uh, this special edition of the show with hurricane expert Dr. Jay Hobgood is in the studio. We've also going to be in a situation where we have some call-ins. We have some storm chasers, uh, some residents that have been basically weathering the whole storm all day. But this is all going to happen today on episode 167 of the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Hey, welcome uh, to the most entertaining weather podcast. This is the award-winning Stormfront Freaks podcast. Uh, thanks to our Patreon teammates for helping to support the show. Uh, we've got some new Storm Freaks like Alec, Kenzie, Deborah. Uh, welcome to the team. Also, big shout out to those joining us live tonight. I know we got Josh uh, is watching, uh, and if you're watching too, go ahead and uh, jump in on the chat. And we've got our VIPs in the background. Angela and Dan are here tonight. Um, you can also experience Stormfront Freaks Raw like they do, which is you get to just be a part of the recording uh, stuff that gets edited out, all that good stuff. You can join our Patreon team with multiple level of perks and exclusive merch. You can find that link at stormfrontfreaks.com. So I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this show, this is really going to be a raw event tonight, like the whole thing. We're, we're doing this different, and I'll explain um, the, the situation. So our guest that we had scheduled uh, is a meteorologist for a, a national weather channel broadcast. And of course, uh, there's this big hurricane that just decided it was going to happen during our recording of our podcast. Darn it, Ian. Uh, so they had to uh, bow out, and in roughly 24 hours, we have decided to put together a Hurricane Ian-centric show. And uh, so this is going to be a little different for us. Normally, we, we're kind of a, I don't know, what do you guys say, like a, a Tonight Show, Late Show kind of, you know, a guest, and we have some funny skits and stuff that, like that. Exactly, we're, exactly like the Tonight Show. Absolutely. Exactly. We're very entertaining. Oh, <laughs> So wacky stuff. It, it's still going to be entertaining, as you can tell. Uh, but it, it's the structure is going to be a little different because it's really going to be a discussion. We're going to be talking about some things with Hurricane Ian and what's been going on. And we've also got some uh, storm chasers that have been there. We're going to talk to tonight uh, some residents that that kind of weathered out the storm. We're going to kind of talk to them to find out what's been going on. Uh, so it's a little different, but. We start every show by finding out uh, which of our co-hosts are joining us tonight. And we do that by finding out what they're drinking. It's like happy hour every time uh, we record here. So um, just gives us a chance to see who's here and gives you a chance to find out what they're drinking. I am going to start, Greg, uh, with you, our storm chaser up in Canada. What are you drinking, Greg? Well, I'm actually channeling my inner Dr. J, and I've got my Diet Coke. No, really? Mm-hmm. I know. Like, just, I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm speechless. That's that's pretty good. All right, MJ, uh, up in Minnesota, our Sky One coordinator, what are you drinking? Uh, we're back to some Grain Belt Northeast uh, by August Shell Brewing Company in a fancy uh, Vikings cozy. That's fancy. Fancy like Applebee's. All right, Maz, nice. uh, our former meteorologist uh, here in Cincinnati, what are you drinking? 
I have a Leinenkugel Lemon Haze IPA, and it's it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good lemon tonight. Haze. It's chilly, and it's good. Is that like purple haze? A little purple. Uh, after several of them, yes, yeah. probably. <laughs> All right, uh, Serena, our meteorologist uh, up in New Hampshire. What are you drinking? I found uh, this wasn't supposed to be a weather beer. I didn't think it was, but after today, I think it is. It's from Barrier <laughs> Brewing Company, and it's called Uncharted Waters. Oh, yeah. Found that one on the too. shelf and said, yeah. yes, that's appropriate for this evening. Yes, it is an IPA. That, of course, is very good. All right. Well, we know who's here, Maz. Let's, uh, let's get our expert also on the table. That's right. Dr. Julius. Oh, Dr. J. I was doing basketball for a minute. Sorry about that. That's okay. Hey, he's my former professor, Dr. Jay Hobgood. I've loved talking to him. He's awesome. Uh, that was back in the old Nebraska days, and he went on to Ohio State and big fame and all that stuff. So he is now retired from Ohio State, now emeritus associate professor. Uh, he served as director of atmospheric science program from 1995 to 2014. His research includes the causes of rapid intensification of hurricanes and the effects of hurricanes after landfall and the climatological patterns of hurricane activity. Sounds perfect. He's worked uh, as a hurricane consultant for Nationwide Insurance since 2006, and he is our in-studio guest tonight to discuss Ian with us. So welcome, Dr. Hobgood. So glad to have you here tonight. I have two questions right off the bat for you so i remember numerical modeling class that you had which i never got the opportunity to take but uh it was about hurricanes obviously and so with that i guess my first question is you know what's your take on on ian and then my second question is i've been hearing a lot about sea surface temperature so this has been bugging me for a few days What's it like I mean, with the numerical models is it even like a tenth of a degree warmer um, with the sea surface temperatures, is there a scale or something that causes the intense? How does that all relate? And is there a scale? Is there like a, you know, like a, a Richter scale where it goes up every degree by a certain, I mean, tell me all about that. Cause I missed that from your class, by the way. Right. Well, let me take your second question first and talk about the sea surface temperatures. It's not a direct correlation between the temperature going up a degree and the hurricane going up so many miles per hour. What it is, is that first you have to have a certain threshold. So the ocean has to be warm enough so you can get thunderstorms that are tall enough to build into a hurricane. In the deep tropics, that's 26 degrees Celsius. If you get into higher latitudes, say off the northeast coast of the U.S., it can be a little colder and you can still get a hurricane. But hurricanes get most of their energy from the upper ocean. And that's why the sea surface temperature is so important. And to get a really intense hurricane, like a major hurricane, you probably need sea surface temperatures at least 28 or 29 degrees Celsius. But it's not just the very top of the ocean that matters because hurricanes with the strong winds will mix cooler water to the surface. So it also matters how deep the warm layer is on top of the ocean. And unfortunately, in the case of Ian, two places where the warm water is deepest is in the northwestern Caribbean Sea, south of Cuba, 
And in the southeastern Gulf of Mexico, where you have the loop current southwest of Florida. So Ian went over two places where there was a lot of energy in the upper ocean. And it was able to extract that energy. And that was allowed it to intensify rapidly to a major hurricane as it approached Cuba. Then after it moved north of Cuba, it went through a quick eyewall replacement cycle last night and then was able again to tap the energy in the southeast Gulf of Mexico and rapidly intensify to a strong Category 4 hurricane before it hit southwest Florida. So that's the, the, the role that the sea surface temperature plays. And like I said, it, it isn't linear. And you can't say that if the sea surface temperature goes up one degree Celsius, the wind speed will go up 20 miles an hour. Because hurricanes, of course, get their energy from the ocean, but they're in the atmosphere. So the atmospheric environment matters too. Mm -hmm. And the other problem with um, Ian was that it was in a very favorable atmospheric environment. South of Cuba, there wasn't much wind shear. Once it got north of Cuba, there's a trough over the eastern U.S., but unfortunately that trough actually helped with the upper level divergence today. And that pumped away mass and allowed the surface pressure to drop all the way down to 937 millibars. That's something I, I want to talk about. I, I got to jump in here because yeah. I read a lot of the forecast discussions leading up this, to this, and I was following it. I was looking at the cold front. We were talking about the shear. It was in many National Hurricane Center forecast discussions that this high shear environment to the northwest was going to, to break it down. What did we miss? I mean, it's like, I mean, what... Because clearly that would, it, it helped <laughs> when yeah, we were yeah. it would hurt and it did not. So you, you, you've, hit on, missed. you've hit on one of the classic sort of naughty problems in hurricane meteorology. When does a trough hurt and when does a trough help a hurricane? And uh, Lance Bozart from SUNY Albany used to talk about good troughs and bad troughs. I mean, it's, it's the same issue that you were talking about. Because you're right, and this is what we were sort of expecting, was that the trough would cause southwesterly winds in the upper levels. Those would blow towards the top of Ian. That would create more wind shear. And the forecast was that Ian would get to Category 4, and then it might weaken back to Category 3 as approached southwest Florida. But sometimes if the upper-level trough is in the wrong place, if you're a resident of Florida today, the upper-level winds blow toward Ian, but northeast of Ian, they actually help pull mass away. They actually enhance the upper level divergence. So instead of the shear causing Ian to weaken, you pull more mass out, the surface pressure drops, and the wind speed picks up. And that's what we had to happen today. I don't know if you remember Hurricane Michael in 2018 that hit northwest Florida near Mexico Beach as a category five, right? It was the same situation. Right. If you go back and look at some of the discussions just before it 
um, Michael hit Northwest Florida. There was talk about a trough, wind shear, and it used to be up until recent years, most storms moving toward the northern Gulf Coast would weaken because you'd have more wind shear and some dry air would wrap around the southern side and they start to weaken. Well, Michael did much similar to what um, Ian did today. Rapidly intensified to Cat 5 just before it hit Mexico Beach. So so there's a real difficult question, and even the numerical models have a hard time with this. What's the influence of the trough going to be? Is it going to cause wind shear? Or is it going to enhance divergence? Uh, Dr. Hobgood, when, when you were talking about Michael, I, I remember we had uh, uh, Storm Chaser on who positioned to chase that storm based on the fact that it was a Category 2-3 hurricane a few hours prior, and it rapidly intensified, and they ended up getting uh, getting caught in a pretty nasty situation. Well, I'll tell you what, Greg, uh, speaking uh, speaking of uh, storm chasers, so we do actually have live on the phone. Uh, we've got Brandon Clement uh, is with us, and, and Brandon was was actually chasing Ian in Cuba initially. Uh, Brandon, welcome to the show, and maybe tell us how, how Cuba was your initial target. Well, initially, and at the time of the decision, the models kept shifting to the West. So we figured, you know what, let's go rock this thing in Cuba and get back and make it for Florida landfall. Uh, so we had more time given it was to go up towards you know, big bend area north of Tampa. And on that track, it would give us the flexibility to fly back into Miami and drive to Tampa where my car was. So that was the, the lead decision thinking, you know, we can double dip on this thing, but uh, that's not how it went. So, well, that's a good segue. Uh, <laughs> what I, I guess first off, tell us where in Cuba. I guess where were you? What what did you experience? Uh, yeah, let's start with that. So it was Jonathan Petromala and I uh, had him on with us just a minute ago. His phone's dropping. We're in, we're in Mexico now, but uh, we were in Pinar del Rio. We kind of chose that as a a town where you had a main highway going into it. If you went any farther west. Uh, the chances of getting out were very slim because the roads got down to two lane. We had a four lane road with a boulevard going in. We, we checked that out. We're like, all right, no matter what, at least there's going to be contra flow places where we can get around trees and stuff like that. So we had it all planned out. Uh, going to fly into Cuba. Got in contact with some, uh, some of Jonathan's contacts and they knew people in Cuba. They were going to come meet us at the airport, bring us SIM cards, uh, have a car with extra gas and just be our guides the whole time. But then Cuba happened. So it turned into no, we, they found us a driver instead who ended up just being a random guy at the airport. And we had it planned out. We got him a room at the hotel where we were staying where he was going to drive us the whole time. And well, first they were supposed to help us try and get a rental car. That just didn't happen. Uh, Cuban cab driver gets to the hotel, drops us off, gets his money there, and then tells us about his sick wife and how he has to go back. <laughs> we look at each other at that point. We're like, all right, do we just ride back to just call it quits right now, or do we get this thing to go? 
because we're stuck there with no car and we already know the gas situation in Cuba. I mean, we had to wait what hour long line just to get gas to go down there. Because uh, we, we made our cab driver top off. And of course, he's playing along because he just wants his money before he bails on us. So he sits in the gas station. We're like, no, top off, top off, top off. Uh, so we knew the gas gas situation going in. We're like, right, who's going to have a a drive uh, enough gas to drive 100, 100 miles back? And uh, we knew we were in trouble. We're, we made it that far. The plan for the beginning was to play on the east side of it, not actually get eyed by it. That way, we could make sure we could get back. And everything started shifting to the east. And that's kind of where the fun began. So we're in this hotel, 1929 built hotel, marble staircases, solid concrete. So I was never worried. But then right before the storm starts getting bad, they're like, no, no, no. We need to lock the doors at at a certain time. I'm like, no, no, no. We can't do that. That's not what we do. So we ended up having to lock ourselves in the hotel. But luckily, these doors were like 10 foot tall or 12 foot tall French doors with all glass. We're like, okay, this isn't going to end well for them, so we'll just shoot from inside the hotel. And uh, when that eye came, the eye wall came. It was very fast. It was a lot like Hurricane Zeta. Moving pretty quick and intensifying, but the inner eye wall was, was really compact. So from about a, a, a two-hour period where the winds were less than 30 miles an hour to we were in the middle of the eye. Uh, but that two hours in between, it was everything that building could take. Uh, trying to bust the doors open. They had multiple pieces of furniture lining up. Uh, the windows, several of the windows got lost. Of course, we're hearing sheet metal get thrown around, around everywhere. Even if we could have got out, it wouldn't matter. We had zero light to shoot with. Everything was total blackness. Uh, the hotel did have a generator, so we had, we had light at the hotel with nothing else. Uh, and then, Amazingly, the Wi-Fi actually held up until uh, about halfway through three quarters of the way through the uh, eye wall and started dropping off, but then came back. And then we got in the eye. I mean, it, we couldn't have centered that eye track any better. We were in that eye for an hour. I mean, it was calm for an hour. We had time to go walk around, shoot damage, see what all happened, get back to the hotel. And the back side of the eye wasn't nearly as strong as the front side as, as normal. But I think that was a different case today in Florida. But, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty wild as far as the, the storm goes. But, at the time, in every step of the way, the Category 3 hurricane was like number six or seven on our list of concerns. <laughs> yeah. So what, the, uh, um, what, so, so when, after it kind of went, um, did, did you stay in the same location, I guess, d- during the whole path? We stayed in the same location during the whole path, except during the eye, we got out and ran the streets and, and just shot as much video as we could. Uh, got back in the hotel in the second half of the eye came, uh, got a little bit of a nap, and then started working on trying to get a ride back because our flight. So we flew in Monday, and our flight was scheduled out Tuesday afternoon because we knew if we didn't get out really quick, then we're going to get cut off by the, the airport's closing in Florida. And uh, we weren't expecting the damage to be that bad in Havana because, I mean, it's 100 miles away, and we were supposed to be 40, 50 miles away from the eye. But we ended up getting an eye, so Havana actually started getting some wind, knocked the air, uh, electricity out, I mean, all the way through the country just about. And uh, trying to get a cab involved some really shady stuff, 
some bribes. <laughs> um, we at one point were about a mile from our hotel, and we had this one guy waving us down, asking us if we wanted a taxi. We we're like, yeah. He didn't actually have a taxi or a car <laughs> or any form of transportation. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like, this is going really well. The guy next to him is in a homeless stance in the corner, just shivering. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not going to go well. But you know what? Let's see what happens. Um, so we called that murder taxi. And when they showed up at our hotel at 30, 45 minutes later, I guess it was, uh, we, we gave it a whirl. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We, we actually took a cab with them right then. We are supposed to go to our hotel. And we were going the wrong direction. And then the tree and power line and stuff were down. It was feeling really, really sketchy. Uh, tree and power line were blind. Like, hold on, we're going to shoot this. We jumped out like half like we were going to shoot it. And then there was some other people around. So we just kind of stayed next to them and just bailed. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because that was, that, was, that was definitely going to go the wrong direction uh, for, one, for, for, for half of it. I'm not sure which half, but it was going to go the wrong for half of it. And uh, made our way back to the hotel. Waited on another guy that promised he, you know, he had all the connections in the world, could get a taxi, no problem. And, yeah, that didn't happen either. And it finally ran into this guy from Mexico, of all places, who lives in Texas and was down there visiting his uh, girlfriend. And he's like, Look, I got a guy. I have no idea if he'll show up. Uh, I usually pay him 100 bucks to take us to the uh, airport from here. I'm like, Tell him 150. Let's just get him motivated. Actually, I told him to tell him more, but he was like, no, don't do that because I don't want to pay more next time. I'm like, all right, tell him 150-something to get him motivated. And right when we thought that was going to fall through, a 1957 Ford Fairlane in perfect condition rolled up. And there was our ride back to the airport. Here we are shooting damage video, jumping medians, and driving around trees and under power lines and everything else to get out of there in a uh, 1957 Ford Fairlane for our Cuban experience. But Getting to Havana was just the beginning. Just the beginning. Our flight got canceled on the way. Uh, we had no Wi-Fi, no cell service. The SIM cards that we got our people to get from the very beginning didn't work. Uh, they worked for calls if you wanted to call somebody in Cuba, but the data didn't work, and they wouldn't work for international calls. So we were just like – we were in the Stone Ages. And, so, uh, of course, there's total blackout through the country. So, Brandon, now that, now that you're out of Cuba – so what would you do differently now if you look back and go, man, I would have changed this, this, and this. What would you do? Yeah. You know, Jonathan Petromala and I were just talking about on the cab ride back from dinner. Right now we're both smoking our Cuban cigar, kind of celebrating <laughs> both the hurricane and getting out of Cuba. Because that was that was really that that was the drama there. Uh, it got into more dark, shady stuff and stories for another day. But uh so we were like, will we do it again? And I looked at him and was like, I would not do this again tomorrow. Maybe the day after. <laughs> so absolutely. Next time we're going to Cuba, we're doing it, doing it right. We know, we know what we did wrong. We identified our mistakes really quick. And uh, we know what to do next time. So we're going to look forward to it. Well, Brandon, I, I don't know. I know you got Jonathan on the line there. It sounded like Jonathan was supposed to have all your connections. So, um. Yeah, you yeah, need what, what taste partner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jonathan dropped off. I'm, I, his phone dropped, and I'm going to hand him the phone right here. Got it. 
Hey guys, I heard the conversation. Sorry, my phone dropping off, which has kind of been the theme of the last well, couple well, of so, days. At least we have conversation. So, right? so this was this was my question, Jonathan. He he, Brandon made it sound like you were his uh, Cuban connection. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know about uh, using you as a travel agent moving forward. <laughs> well, you know, in these situations when you're going into a place like Cuba, I've been to Cuba twice before. Um, but I'll be honest with you, it's a different world even uh, than three years ago, right before the pandemic was the last time I went. And Cuba today is not the same Cuba that was even just three years ago before the pandemic. I mean, uh, the first time I went was during the Obama administration when they had uh, reopened the country, sort of, to tourism. And there was a lot of optimism. There was a lot of happiness and excitement from the people, a lot of joy. And then again, when I went back in 2019, um, it was kind of a different feel. Uh, Donald Trump had um, closed things back off, so people were hurting again. And there was a little less optimism, a little more concern for their future. This time, in the words of our host that we were able to find yesterday, he said it. I asked him about 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union. Versus, uh, you know, 1980 when all the Cubans left and, and came to Miami. He said that Cuba today is worse than any other time he's been alive. And he was, he's around 60 years yeah. old. Yeah. So you can imagine what it is. And so this hurricane basically just amplified everything. Yeah. To the point where, you know, you expect you expected before to go to Cuba. And, you know, people are out to to try and take your money, which is fine. I mean, they're, they're, they're hustling. They're trying to make money. But it wasn't in a in a mean spirit. But this time it was a little bit different. You could tell just the attitudes shifted. There was more desperation with the people. And, uh, I mean, you're, you're seeing lines a couple hundred meters long waiting for bread this morning. You think, oh, that must be hurting. No, no, no. That's just a normal everyday situation. Waiting for gas, gas lines, everyday yeah. normal situation. You know, I mean, it's just, it's really, really digressed there. And, and uh, it's really, really sad to see. And, again, to have a hurricane like that, in such an important region that actually produces money for the, for the country, their tobacco region. Um, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Even more than it is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm glad you guys are certainly safe and, and wish you a rest, a safe rest of the trip home, uh, from Mexico. Um, but I appreciate you both taking the time to kind of share your experience and, uh, we'll get you guys back on again. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, hey guys, uh, have any of you seen any footage uh, coming out of Cape Coral? Because uh, looking at the map, you know, the topography there, I mean, it's all canals. And when I was looking at the, the, this hurricane making landfall, I thought, man, that's where the, the, the storm surge is going to be the worst, but I have not seen anything. Uh, I've seen Naples. I've seen uh, Fort Myers and all these different places, but I haven't seen anything from Cape Coral. Anybody? No, and it's terrifying. It, it the the silence is deafening in in a lot of ways. That way, I think tomorrow morning it's going to be horrific when people finally can get there and the water recedes, and you see what happens because there has been nothing today. I am scared. Okay, so that so it's not just me that couldn't no, find anything. No, there is okay. nothing coming out of Cape Coral. Nothing. So I, I was, uh, I was, uh, Serena, I was doing some research and I was trying to find out what's the average elevation in Cape Coral and Fort Myers. And um, I thought it was a typo uh, that I read the average elevation is three feet above sea level. And I was thinking, 
it, you know, if you look at the direction of travel of that hurricane, you look at the southeast corner of that eye wall, that had to be where surge was going to be the worst. And, did you and guys, did you see this graphic? I have it pulled up on my screen. I don't know if we can do the screen share. There's this crazy graphic that shows Cape Coral and Fort Myers. And you can see what it looks like now and the lay of the land and Captiva and, and Pineland and all these places. And it drags across and you see what it's going to look like with the storm surge. And it's gone. Cape Coral disappears. Yeah, and and the number of there's more there's more canals than streets in Cape Coral. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's not good in a hurricane situation. No, no, it's really bad, you know. And I actually have a friend. I don't know if um she's someone that we'll get to speak with tonight, but she's a, a friend of mine who is in Cape Coral. And when she told me that she was not, she had not left, uh, I had some four letter words for her. Um, but I hope she's safe. And I I don't know if we'll get to speak with her tonight. And I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything from anyone in Cape Coral because it's, I mean, it's gotta be catastrophic there. It'll be interesting to see what first light shows tomorrow. Uh, for sure. Uh, I, I have a question for, uh, uh, the, the good Dr. J here. Um, uh, my, my question has to do with, uh, we've heard a lot about Ian being a, a category for hurricane at landfall, but, is there ever a situation where like with tornadoes, they do a preliminary, you know, it's an EF three and then the, you know, the, the teams go in, they survey the damage and then they, they adjust that rating. Is there, is it possible to do that with hurricanes where you go back and you look at some of the data points that maybe got overlooked in, in haste uh, and, and change the category of the hurricane? Yeah, that does happen. Um, it happens on two time scales. The National Hurricane Center will prepare a tropical cyclone report on every named storm. So after the hurricane season is over, they'll get together and they'll collect all the data, and not just the meteorological data, but the data on um, the losses, um, the casualties, and, and they'll put all that into the tropical cyclone report. And of course, they may um, get some additional meteorological data that they didn't have when they were writing the advisories today. And based on that information, they could adjust the rating of the hurricane after the season is over. Um, based on you know new information so that's one possibility it won't happen tomorrow or next week but it could happen sometime after the hurricane season ends in december there's also a group uh, at the hurricane center in noaa that's working on a reanalysis project and they went back and looked at some historical hurricanes and they're doing it systematically over the years. And they were the group that many years after Hurricane Andrew, which occurred in 1992, it was rated as a cat four at the time, re-rated Andrew as a cat five in their reanalysis. Mm. So, so, it's not so like there is a, a historical precedent then for that having happened. 
Right. There, there's a, a, a procedure they go through. But it's not like tornadoes where they're out there doing the damage survey the next day or several days later, and you may get a re-rating. And actually, with tornadoes, that's the official rating that comes out then. And you see a lot of stuff on social media in informal, well, based on the damage, you know, it looks like an EF3 or so on. But the official rating comes out after the damage surveys by the National Weather Service. With hurricanes, it takes a longer time frame to do that. But there are some famous cases um, where some hurricanes have, the ratings have been changed up or down one Saffir Simpson category. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, if you've lost your home to a hurricane or a tornado, uh, the rating really doesn't matter right like on an individual case by case basis nobody really cares what the rating is uh i think it's just guys like us uh, people like us that you know nerd out on this stuff that really care but uh ultimately if your home is gone your home is gone and the, the rating of the the hurricane doesn't matter well you're, you're right to a point i mean that, that if, if you get you know your house leveled or if you've got a storm surge in your house you don't care the hurricane doesn't care, right? It's just <laughs> obeying the laws of physics. Right. But there are emergency management plans. Got it. That do have evacuations based on, you know, is it a major hurricane? Is it a cat three or is it a cat two? So, so it, the rating does have impacts on how some people treat hurricanes. For sure. Um, it's one of the problems with the Saffir Simpson scale though, right? It's, it's not like you're rating a tornado after the fact and people's house is already leveled. I mean, they can't evacuate when the, the EF rating comes out. Um, the Saffir Simpson scale only has five categories, right? You got 110 mile an hour hurricane is a cat too. And everybody thinks, well, it's not a major hurricane. Eh, you know, <laughs> it's a hurricane, but 115 miles an hour, right? Five miles an hour up. It's a cat three. Suddenly it's a major hurricane, right? It's a big deal. All sorts of emergency management plans go into action. Right. And also the, the scale also doesn't take into account the storm surge, uh, the rainfall amounts and all the other issues that are involved in a hurricane. All we're yeah. talking about is just wind speed and, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. And that's, that's, that's a good, good segue, Greg, because we actually have um, on the phone, we have a, a resident from Fort Myers, uh, Scott Sorensen is with us, and he actually, uh, he and his wife, Teresa, decided that they were going to uh, stay and ride out the storm and, and certainly has experienced and currently is uh, experiencing, for example, some of that surge and everything else. But um, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I guess, tell us where whereabouts are you in Fort Myers and, and what led to your decision for you guys to say, uh, you're going to ride it out. Well, hi guys. It's uh, good to be here. And, uh, that is a very difficult question right now, but, um, we were looking at the forecast. We're talking about where we are. We are in a second floor condo, uh, kind of a fourplex. So there's two second floor, two first floors. And, uh, and even up until last night or yesterday afternoon, I was looking at some elevation charts sizing things up and you know do we drive east to miami or do we stay 
we have a generator, we have food, we're, our, our floor of our house is actually about 25, 26 feet above sea level as best I could estimate. So we decided to stay. We got our storm shutters up, which is a very stressful event. My wife spent all day Monday trying to find somebody that would do it. And thankfully, a couple guys came out and did us and some of our neighbors and, and really, really helped out in that way. Um, so we stayed and uh, not much we could have changed, but uh, we're ready to start the generator and keep the fridge cold and get some fans going. But it's been a rough day. So, so I guess tell tell us a little bit what um, what was your experience early on? I know we had actually been communicating a little bit as the front part of the storm was coming, um, but I guess differentiate between you know what your feelings were and what you were experiencing as the storm was coming, and then at what point did that kind of transition, that excitement kind of transition a little bit to some skepticism? Uh, and your experience at the tail end of the storm. Right. Um, yeah, so we, you know, looking at uh, 18 hours ago, 24 hours ago, people talking about a pretty good Category 3 storm hitting uh, Tampa, Sarasota area. You know, we're like, oh, those, those, the east side of the wall, the winds, which we still got, obviously even worse, um, you know, can we, can we do that? What's it going to, what's it look like? We talked to some of our neighbors here in our condo development and, and a lot of them did stay as well. And, uh, the difficulty was as things progressed, the storm got tighter to our shoreline and obviously got, you know, much, much larger with the, with the 150, 155 winds that just about put it at a category five. And so that, that, uh, the cell signal, which we use on our phones to watch the weather and some of those things, started to deteriorate this afternoon after the power went out. But we could still get some things and communicate with family and friends. Um, but looking at the weather deteriorating, the last time we watched our local news um, and weather report was somewhere around 2 o'clock, 2.30. And, you know, you could tell that it was it was going to be bigger and worse than anybody thought really and it was going to hang out here and, and pound us for a while too because we were getting those upward um east side of the wall winds right on the shoreline pushing water in pushing and the wind was expanding but the eye was staying over the warm gulf water so the strength was maintaining and that when i started to kind of put those two, two things together um yeah we started to get a little bit worried and then uh the, the shutter started to rattle even more, and the 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 wind was really really buck, bucking things here for a while. So, Scott, how does Miami look now? <laughs> Miami, Miami. Uh, yeah, we've we've vacationed in Deerfield Beach uh, three times from from our hometown in Minnesota the last fifteen years, and we actually had that hotel pulled up yesterday morning. Um, but at the same time. <clears throat> You know, all the water would have come up to our garage, would have flooded things that uh, that uh, actually I moved this afternoon, um, and and it would have been you know all the same. Yet we couldn't get back here for this amount of time. So, yes, we would have been more comfortable sitting there, but we would have been really concerned about the people here. And we actually brought up our lower level our neighbor up to our house uh, a few hours ago through through waist deep water around the driveway. Um, and in, from one garage to the other, because our front doors are 
stormboarded up. Um, uh, so, you know, all things being equal, um, you know, there's some, some good reasons we stayed as well. So real quick, like describe right now, if I know it's obviously dark out, but as you're looking, describe what you're, what you kind of have seen before sunset and all that. Yeah. As it came down. Um, so our drive, uh, I mentioned to Phil that our drive is our driveway in front of us or our road in front of us is, uh, I looked at three or four elevation charts last night and best estimates, probably 15, 16 feet are, garage level is about four feet above that so i'm thinking around 20 19 or 20 and uh um that's that was uh, uh almost waist deep water to the front of our garage so that's 20 plus and uh you know i couldn't believe it until i could see it and then i'm like oh yeah how can this not happen you know this wind is hitting us from the south southwest for five hours at 75 plus, you know, 75 plus, then a hundred plus, and then a little bit of 75 plus. And so as the sun set, um, looking out the water for about an hour and a half, maintained that garage two feet, two and a half feet in the garage level. And uh, I could, we've, our front windows are smaller, narrower windows. They're hurricane windows proof up to, I think 140. So those are not boarded up and I could look out to the street and see my neighbor's plants in his front yard and the water leveled off there for about, you know, it got to be a half an hour and then an hour and then an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, and that was about sunset where I could still see that it was about an hour and a half. And now the winds thankfully have died down. Our shutters are not rattling at the moment. Um, and, uh, and so they've really must've calmed down pretty good. Um, when I look out those same front windows, I see a glow to the east, which is down Alico Road toward the Interstate 75. But I also saw and can see a glow to the west, which is kind of toward uh, looking right at Fort Myers Beach area, probably six miles away, five or six miles away. There's a glow over the houses. Obviously, our neighborhood is eerily dark. Um, uh, but uh, except for a few, you can tell there's some some battery powered lights and candles on when you look in these uh, front storm windows that we have. I know uh, Serena was uh, asking the question. You're tw- oh, go ahead, Serena. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. So I was on mute because I'm smart. Um, so you said you're at an elevation about twenty some feet, uh, or around twenty feet above ground, you know, above sea level, and you sea still level. had waist deep water. At your garage, um, the garage, as best estimate, and I, I did look at some very modern on my phone uh, elevation sites last night. My best estimate of our garage level was like 19 feet, I guess, or almost, almost 20. Um, it's just by uh, the variety of things I looked at. They were all saying the same thing between 17 and 21 feet, kind of where our house is located or where our condo is located. Wow. And so I figured street level was. 15, 16. And, uh, and, and again, um, yeah, the garage floor was just about 20. I'd probably a little shy. And then, you know, when you go out here, we are, we are about 200 yards, maybe 300 yards west of highway 41 or, or Tamiami trail, which is the, you know, the big North South from Fort Myers to Naples, uh, versus the interstate. But, um, 
and there is canals and uh, uh, some locations just about three quarters of a mile to our west where you can put a boat in where the houses are on the canals, um, but we're not closely connected to that. There is several walls and mounds, you know, uh, kind of retaining wall type places between us and there. So um, it had to push up and through some of those areas as well. But, you know, when you've got this big of a storm and you've got that uh, flow from the, from the west and from the south, as long as we did, I mean, it just kept pushing seawater up and in and uh, couldn't, almost like a tidal wave, really a 20 foot, 30 foot tidal wave. Wow. And you said like six miles ballpark from the actual ocean? Um, no, from the, well, there's a bay. So we're, we're south of Fort Myers a little bit. We're between Fort Myers and, and Bonita Springs. And so there's a, there's a large bay that comes in there, but there's barrier islands, Lover's Key and San Carlos Island, which is Fort Myers Beach, basically. Uh, and there's maybe a 200-yard path, you know, the bridge that goes through there, maybe uh, almost a half a mile. And that's the only place where water can really come through to get towards us and up into the canals that come our way. Um, and then we're still three-quarters of a mile from the nearest canal, uh, where wow. where the houses are obviously right on the canal. So and we're up up about ten, I, up eight or ten feet. Our drive, our road is up eight or ten feet from those houses as well. Wow. My wife and I bike bike out there a little bit, so we see we kind of get a feel for that. I mean, it's obviously everything's really flat down here, but but even you know that over a most of a mile, you get a six foot raise. You can hardly tell, but it is. We are up a little bit, and then of course, thankfully being on the second floor, we have another nine, nine and a half feet, which, you know, if it got up to our floor, uh, most of the southern third of Florida would be underwater because we're all the same height. Wow. I think the airport is, I think the airport is 29 feet above sea level or 33 feet above sea level. I heard, I heard today that Bonita Springs was basically now a part of the Gulf. Yeah. And um, Naples, Naples, all the, all the canals in Naples, and you will hear tomorrow. I can't imagine. I, I'm, I feel bad for Cape Coral because the way the wind was lifting up and in the big bay that opens up to the uh, Coosahatchee River um, had such a storm surge. You know, Sanibel, the highest point in Sanibel is like nine feet. So Sanibel was uh, total water. There was no land above water. There was only wow. house rooftops and garages and stuff. And then that pushed up into the Caloosahatchee, which is the river that runs from Lake Okeechobee, usually runs this way, of course, right? And they've been getting quite a bit of rain, so there's water that's trying to run out, but 120, 150-mile-an-hour winds are pushing that water back in, and, and that was just, uh, I can't imagine what they're going through right now up along that river and uh, Cape Coral area because it's so low already. There's so much of it's so low. Everybody's on a canal in Cape Coral. So last question for you, Scott. I know you're from Minnesota, and I remember part of my conversation with you was um, it, it can't, it's just getting hyped. It can't be any worse than the blizzards back in Minnesota. What, um, what, what are your comparisons of the two now at this point? Oh, boy. Um, well, the cold... The cold that comes with uh, one of those uh, blizzards that come, th come through Minnesota, uh, spending some time in western Minnesota, central Minnesota, and even up in Moorhead, which is, which is just about North Dakota and all those winds. Um, <laughs> uh, the wind for a while, so 
one of our shutters, yeah, kind of released its top on the lanai, and that was when the wind was coming from the south. That's where our lanai is, south and west. And uh, it was bending that top down and bringing in a bunch of pressure. It actually blew out a little bit of our, uh, you know, we have a big, big sliding doors. Um, it actually blew out the bottom of the door. Thankfully, there's about two inches of, of uh, uh, catch in the top of the door, so it didn't tip. And we pushed a mattress and wedged a couch against it. But it was, and we were, so my wife and I were in a room away from that, but I could start to feel my ears pressurized like Whoa. you were in a plane or going up and down a hill. And I'm like, something isn't quite right. And I came out in our main room and looked over there and that, that uh, sliding screen door had pushed open about an inch. And things, that's when things were really whipping in middle of the afternoon today, that, that when we got towards 100 mile per hour winds. And so looked at that and then other things started to whistle in the room that used to not whistle. <laughs> uh, actually one of our, one of our, uh, there's a little canister that goes around your uh, sprinkler heads on the fire extinguishers, fire sprinklers. And that blew out or dropped, blew out, dropped out of the roof onto one of our couches. And I'm like, where did that come from? I look up, oh yeah, there it was. Wow. And things were whistling and moving wow. and that wind was coming in and it had to go out somewhere our toilet water was getting pushed out. So there was almost none left. It was really, really, uh, that was the toughest time, I, I guess. So, so, and, and I've been in some old homes, uh, with the windows rattling for uh, a day and a half, two day ice and wind storm, snowstorm up in Minnesota. And, uh, it was very similar. Um, and then you walk out and you look and you see, do you, do you see six feet of snow? Do you see three feet of water at your garage steps? Um, very similar, very similar to some of the worst snowstorms. But I, I think I, I actually really feel bad because I think people are gonna. It's gonna be pretty catastrophic what happens to the people, the many, many, many people that are in worse places than we are, because uh, I can't believe what happened to us. Phil, it's got to be bad when you have a toilet storm surge. I'm just <laughs> that, that's exactly what we have. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Scott, thanks thanks for your time. I'm glad you and Teresa have uh, weathered it to this point successfully, and I wish you the best, uh, certainly moving forward with this. Uh, but thanks for taking the time tonight to uh, share your story. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite a crazy story, uh, a little worse than we thought, but we thank everybody for all their kind wishes and prayers and, and uh, love. But, uh, yeah, it's quite a story to tell, that's for sure. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, I'll, right. t I'll tell you what, if, if you live anywhere, uh, a tropical storm can affect you and your home. Don't let the next storm catch you unprepared. Whether your home is wood, it's concrete or brick, we trust and recommend Windstorm products for all your hurricane hardware you need for your storm shutters. Uh, Windstorm products, it's the world's largest online distributor of hurricane hardware and shutter installation tools. And they even offer a $5 flat rate shipping to all 50 states. They even carry these cool, and, and I'm actually, I want to share this. Uh, I'm going to share my screen with you guys because this is all really, this, when I saw what they had, I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never seen anything like this. So this is, it's called a flood barrier door dam. And instead of using a bunch of sandbags um, to, to, block the water from entering your door or windows or whatever. This is actually a 
a dam that you attach to your doors or your windows and it can fit whatever size. And it basically serves the purpose of trying to use sandbags. And I thought, wow, that, that thing's, that thing's kind of cool. You guys see that? Mm. That's awesome. I noticed that earlier yeah, on social media different. too. I saw it. It's yeah. really cool. So, so that was interesting. Anyway, uh, visit windstormproducts.com now for your one-stop hurricane hardware shop. Don't get, don't get caught. Uh, it's the official supplier of the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Um, I would like to ask, uh, the doctor a question again. I got another one. Um, you have some, uh, background or knowledge or working with in insurance companies. Talk about the cost, um, of, of a storm like this in an area, you know, South Florida, of course, not no stranger to big storms, but talk about the cost for a minute. Okay, um, I looked up Hurricane Charlie um, earlier today because Charlie hit the same area. It made landfall near Port Charlotte in Punta Gorda. Charlie was a Cat 4 when it hit in 2004. Now, Charlie was a little bit weaker than Ian was today, and Charlie was a lot smaller. I mean, Charlie was a small hurricane. In the Tropical Cyclone Report that put out by the National Hurricane Center, it said that Charlie caused $6.7 billion of insured damage in Florida. And the general rule of thumb is only half of all property damage is insured. So that means it probably caused $13, $14 billion worth of damage when Charlie hit. Now that was in 2004. Clearly there's been a lot of population moving to that area in the last 18 years, a lot more property and so on. Plus Ian's bigger and stronger than Charlie was. So roughly, and I'm a meteorologist, I'm not a insurance expert. So, you know, take this for what it's worth, but you probably want to start in the 10 to $15 billion range and go up when you think about potential damage from Ian. And I, I think it's even forecast. more than that, you know, yeah. sorry, sorry, Maz. No, go um, ahead. So Karen Clark, who is a, a, a very famous meteorologist who actually started catastrophe modeling for insurance um, and actually gave blew the first warnings when hurricane Andrew came in and said, Hey, this is going to be really, really bad. Um, She's someone who's been trusted and respected for many, many years in insurance and meteorology. She said this was a $30 billion event. That was her yeah, forecast. Yeah, and, and I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just trying to, you know, be conservative and be on the low end. I don't want to be a <laughs> yeah. I mean, people who know me know I don't like to hype things if I don't have solid data to back it up. So, yeah, I mean, I, that, that sounds very reasonable to me. No, Dr. J, I want to see you do the pinky lift and say one billion bazillion dollars. <laughs> Let's channel yeah. Dr. Evil here. So, Jay, is being a consultant, is there any situation where you would have to pay any of that billions of dollars yourself? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I just try to help them understand the risk leading up to the hurricane. So, so, so you, you had mentioned, though, um, insured value and then, you know, some properties are uninsured. 
can you imagine guys living in a, a, a place like Cape Coral or Fort Myers and, and not having that insurance in place on, I mean, what would you do? I mean, you, you're going to have to go bankrupt or, uh, I mean, it would, it's going to destroy people. Oh, Greg, don't get me started on my soapbox. Less than 10% of people in this country have flood insurance that need it. Less than 10%. And the ones that do, most of them don't have the coverage that they need. The protection gap is insane. It is well, huge. Yet well, flood it, is like the most consistent peril that can happen anywhere where everything else is regional. Flood can happen anywhere, anytime. And since 1996, 99% of zip codes in the United States have seen a catastrophic flood. Okay, so can they even, if you live at sea level on the west coast of Florida, can you actually get flood insurance? It will be very expensive. Extremely expensive. As it yeah, should a lot be, of though. Won't give it to you. A lot of places won't. A lot of places stuff. won't. But if you can get it, it will be extremely expensive, and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I, it's hard. It's really difficult. The places I really struggle with it are, say, like New Orleans, right, where you don't have these ten, you know, million dollar homes built right on the beach, and you've got people that have been there for generations that don't have the ability to leave. Um, you know, who don't have the financial means and lose everything in a hurricane. What do you do for them? That's a different situation, right? You build a $10 million home on the beach, you better be able to afford rebuilding it or not care about what gets swept out to sea. It's just, it's it's a weird problem, but it's it's not even coastal. It's a nationwide issue and it's a huge problem in this country. I thought it was interesting watching live streams of uh, today uh, and from various different sources. I didn't see a single roof fly off of a building. And that's kind of like the money shot for storm chasers. So, you know, that, uh, if it happened, they were going to be shooting it, but literally like, it seems like the, the building codes, the strength of the homes, uh, all of those things, all the research and learning that's happened. Uh, uh, Dr. Hobgood mentioned about, you know, that area of the country getting so many more people over the last 18 years. I suspect that, the uh, the way those homes are built and those buildings are built to withstand those strong hurricanes may mitigate some of those costs. But I'm I mean, I'm I'm just a photographer. Are, are the tie downs getting better? I know. I, I think it is code now down there for all that. But I mean, I didn't see I, a single roof fly off of a building. I, I did. Oh, I did. You just haven't seen Twitter enough. Greg. Yeah, I, oh, I did. Okay. I did see one floating down a street. Right. Seriously. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple. I've seen it. Jay couple. wanted to say something there. Go ahead, Jay. Well, I was going to say I was going to say a couple of things. One, Florida strengthened their building codes after Andrew in 1992, so so that's helped in one case. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, this area was hit by um, Charlie, like I said, in 2004, and then they just had Hurricane Irma a few years ago. So there has been some reconstruction down there and hopefully reconstruction uh, with stronger materials in the last 20 years. What about uh, what about elevating homes? Is that a, a standard practice building on stilts and all that kind of stuff? Well, it's been a while since I've been to Southwest Florida, but I don't think it's as much of a practice there as it is in the Mississippi Gulf Coast and around New Orleans, right? I mean, you go along, you know, you go to some Bay St. Louis, Mississippi or someplace like that, and all of the homes are right. raised up above. And New Orleans 
had raised homes before Katrina, and then they've raised homes even higher since Katrina. So, so some places, I don't think um, in Southwest Florida, they do that nearly as much. Hmm. What about snake insurance? I heard Brady, <laughs> he said they got all the floodwaters bringing all the snakes, snakes in, their in their garage. Guys, did you <laughs> see the video of the, the shark? today in fort myers and no. there was a video of a shark i'll see if i can find it for weather fools uh video of a shark literally swimming down this street do like <laughs> flapping its t- it was it was wild it was i, I, I did see that there were a few fake ones there's a lot oh. of fake ones that get retweeted on I the internet the street one no right i know i mean you've seen the orca whale coming me. out of the i don't know i think I think the shark, there's a shark swimming in the street one that actually looks legit. There's a whole bunch of fake ones. The subway one is fake. The whale is fake. There's a bunch Damn of, it. but I, I think there was one actual real one out there. Yeah. You're killing me now, Serena. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, I'm going to jump in. Uh, we've got Max Olson, uh, Storm Chaser, on the phone with us right now. Um, Max, how you doing, man? You there? We, Hopefully you guys can hear me. There you um, go. We're here. Here, can you guys hear me right? Yeah, we're you're cutting in and out a little bit, but we got you. Where'd you start, and where are you now? Yeah, I apologize if you guys can hear me. We're here in Port Charlotte right now, and we're we're still we're on the back half of the storm. We're actually almost out of it. We're still just getting hammered here. So where'd you start? We started the day here at this hotel that we're actually staying at right now. We meandered west towards the, uh, or sorry, uh, we meandered east towards, uh, let's see, where were we? I honestly can't remember. We went to <laughs> different places today. One of the main things that we saw, though, was um, extreme winds, but lack of surge where we were at because we were on the northern island. However, we placed some probes, some unmanned camp probes down south on Fort Myers Beach, which, as you guys are probably from social Absolutely inundated with storm surge. I mean, easily 10, 12 feet. So we're going to try and make our way and see if we can retrieve those. One of the crazy same storm back to our hotel, the, the first, usually in all the storms that I've chased, the front half of the storm, the first eyewall, when you usually are having onshore flow, is the most intense. This was, I mean, the first half was intense, but the second half where we were at was absolutely mind-blowing some of the most intense wind gusts i've ever felt as a storm chaser i'm guessing probably in the 120 to 130 range our hotel is completely falling apart i uh before i came out here to try and get some video uploaded i had a, a drip coming down on my bed because the roof peeled off and water's pouring through the third floor you know, down into the second floor where we're to try and get the low but um, yeah hopefully it's over soon okay yeah we were losing you just a little bit there at the at the end max so it doesn't look like you're gonna have a good night's sleep in that wet bed um <laughs> no no not likely not hopefully this rain stops here soon and we can uh we can get rid of the unnecessary shower that's going over my bed right now so do you have any measurements wind measurements where you're at we don't have any specific wind measurements. If I had to guess that second eye wall when we got in it, I mean, I, I've never seen wind gusts that intense. I'm guessing in the 130, 120 to 130 range. I just posted a little bit of video that had some of it. I was fully expecting the awe that we were going to come. I mean, I was Max, Max did, you, did you see any video or did you post any video of uh, roofs flying off of buildings? 
the video I just posted has some weird next to a mobile home park and it has some uh, it has some kind of sheet metal and styrofoam and stuff flying out but we didn't really get any actual full roofs flying off of buildings most of what we got you know the area handled it pretty well as far as like we didn't see a lot of full building collapses we saw a lot of damage to mobile homes trees you know lower lower income areas unfortunately but uh, this area is built up relatively well so we didn't see a lot of major structural damage what about what about like so tomorrow's thursday what what's your plan i mean are you like i'm not going to bed or you know we're getting up at three and then what what are you all doing that's yep that's it we're we're getting up at probably four or five a.m we're gonna try our best to get as far down uh close to fort myers beach as we can hopefully the surge has receded pretty well by then we might have to you know park the vehicle up on the bridge right before you get onto the island and then go on foot and see if we can't retrieve our probe um and then the next mission is to get out of here as quickly as possible so we can be you know not hindering any resources and we're going to try and probably head towards miami we figure that's our best bet at getting resupplied on food gas without impacting you know areas in the general vicinity that are going to need it more than us so we've got enough gas to get us to miami we're hoping we can get our probes if not we'll cut our losses we'll come back another day well if you need a hotel our last guest knows of a good hotel in miami he wanted to go there actually. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take all we can get <laughs> and then are you going to head up to uh south carolina for uh, landfall there as it uh re-intensifies <laughs> It sounds tempting. I'm not sure we're going to be able to make it happen. I'm I'm staring right now. Also, a thing I just realized is we've got a we've got a tire that's slowly leaking. Uh, we do have a, an extra one, but uh, with all the debris we're going to have to traverse over tomorrow, I'm I'm not feeling overly optimistic about uh, about our chances of getting all the way back up there. Well, Max, uh, appreciate you taking the time to kind of check in and and let us know how sure. you're doing. I wish you guys a safe trip. And uh, good deal. Safe, safe rest of the time. So again, thanks, uh, thanks for checking in. Yep, thanks, guys. Talk to y'all later. All right, good luck. See you, Max. Thanks. So I, I don't know. Have you guys talked about that uh, with Doctor Hobgood? As far as the, it's kind of bizarre. It sounds like that that back eye wall was maybe more intense wind wise than the front. I'd like to hear Dr. J's opinion on that. I mean, when you look at the radar, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody today, but I'm curious from a historical perspective. Yeah, normally we think of the right front part of the, the hurricane, which would have been the eastern front side in Ian being the strongest. But in this case, that was the side that was blowing over land first and i'm wondering if the the fact that it was over land and the back eye wall was still over the water had something to do with it and the other thing could have been is is someone mentioned about the radar that the strongest convection was north and west wrapping around the western side and whether those uh, that convection there, the downdrafts were bringing the stronger winds down to the surface. So that, that could have been another factor. I want to ask questions about forecasts. <clears throat> you know, we hear a lot about the spaghetti models and obviously the Hobgood model is preferred above all. But do you have, uh, besides that, do you have a certain model that you like, yeah, it's probably the one I'm looking at? Well, to be honest, I, I look at all of the sort of major global models. 
So the ECMWF or Euro, the UK Met Office Muro model, and then the, the US GFS model would probably be the three. I do look at the Canadian and the Navy runs a model and so on. Um, you know, because track forecasts with the models are pretty good now. I mean, I would have to say, and this is just eyeball. I haven't done any numerical statistics. Um, but it looked like the Euro did a little bit better this time. The GFS seemed to do a little better with some storms earlier this year and last year. So I, I'd rather look at a group of models to give me a range of what's going to happen rather than try to focus on a single model. Is there is there something about, are there certain variables that maybe are stressed more in a certain model that tends to work better? I mean, do you think we'll ever get to the point where we'll have like one model that works the best or what are your thoughts? Well, you took my meteorology classes, right? So <laughs> you, if, if all the models use the same physics and had the same input data, they should produce the same result, right? Because right. right. models are equations that are put in computer programs and then they solve them. But, you know, the different models make slightly different assumptions. They process the data coming in in slightly different ways to make the forecast. And things like that make the differences that you see between models. But, you know, as computer power grows in, in you know, potentially maybe even artificial intelligence, you know, the models are converging, at least in terms of the track forecast. And one would think at some point they might start converging more in the intensity forecast. So, so the differences between the models today typically are much smaller than they would have been even five or 10 years ago. So there'll probably always be a bunch of different models because you want to take into account different possibilities, but the differences between the models are likely to get less in the future. I just have one more question. Why, why did you make us memorize the saturated adiabatic lapse rate with entrainment computer model equation? All right. With All differential right. I'm equations. you off, Maz. Uh, you've been holding on to that grudge for too long. We're switching <laughs> things up a little bit. Uh, right Greg, let's, let's talk about Weather Fools. Yeah, man, this is the part of the show we all love where we uh, scour the internet for, well, people doing dumb things. And tonight we're going to be focusing on Hurricane Ian and uh, all the uh, uh, weirdos out there doing weird things uh, around hurricane uh, time. So let's go, let's go to Serena first. Serena, will you show us your first Weather Fool of the night? Oh, man, just the first? That's, yeah, uh... we're gonna go. We're gonna go around the horn here a few times. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a few of them. The first one that I would show this evening is a bunch of people. Let me actually review this. Um, this is from Fort Myers, Florida. This was swimmers getting into the storm surge as Hurricane Ian approached. 11 hours ago so you you can see the sea you can yeah. see the pier the water <laughs> oh my is god these oh, guys are just people. having a good time clearly there's some alcohol involved oh, i don't think they realize how easily they could be swept out wow that guy just disappeared or, or yeah. how easily they just did get swept away 
sucked, yeah. sucked under, Whoa. right? I mean, or just swept that, out. That, whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's oh my three God. guys here. I just, I cannot stress this enough. This is such a bad choice. This may seem cool. You may be able to tell your buddies, hey, it was the Gulf during a hurricane. You could have died too. So it's just, please don't hey, do I swam on the JV team. I'm yeah. Good. Oh my good. God. Nobody cares. This it's may just... be the ultimate weather fool. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> I think it gets better, Greg. <laughs> uh, Phil, you got one for us. Let's go to Phil next. All right. So, uh, so mine comes from uh, Hallie Ledbetter on Twitter. And uh, this is a video of somebody off jet skiing uh, down in Florida. Oh, oh, I oh, that's saw right off one. right now. Right off the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. He's, he's taking his jet ski out. He's like, yeah, this, this looks like fun. It's awesome, dude. All of yeah. these are really helping Florida's reputation in society. Yeah. I love the hashtag on this one. Hashtag Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> that was trending for a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So uh, I, I should I should preface Dr. Hobgood. This we always talk about. This is our contribution to um, our weather ready nation because we're a weather weather ready nation ambassador. This is always our contribution of what not to be doing uh, in storms. Yeah. Why does this remind me of the Darwin Awards? Because <laughs> it Very is similar. pretty much yeah. in weather. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, listen, I got one as well, guys. MJ, if you can throw my uh, mine up now. This is not a video. This is a story from the New York Times. They're interviewing people about getting prepared for the storm. And I'm going to read this paragraph for you. Um, uh, Dr. Giselle Prado Wright moved expensive medical equipment and computers from her cosmetic surgery and wellness clinic in Fort Myers to her home in a Mars sheltered area. She has two children under two, and she said she had no chance to stay because of her business with patients looking to schedule liposuction before the storm. Go get that done before <laughs> yeah. it gets bad. She just hasn't had enough time Trial. to get her house ready for the storm because of all those liposuction appointments. And guys, I got to say, that is a damn weather fool right there. Uh, Serena, you got another one for us? Nice. Uh, I do. And there's a video to go along with it. So maybe uh, one of you guys can help me because this is one that's gone around quite extensively. If you go to the southernmost point of the U.S. Uh, at Key West, Florida, there's like a buoy there or something. Um, and apparently people decided in this horrible storm surge and with an approaching hurricane to bump some nasties up against the southernmost point of the United States. And they were caught oh, in photographs oh, and also on video. Now, be more clear. When you say bump some nasties, Serena, what, what exactly are you talking about here? They were having sexual intercourse. What, what right? club is Whoa. that? What do you call that club? What club is that? Okay, now, is this video? Wow, you said this is video. <laughs> there, there. So this is just a photograph. There is a video as well. Um, I tagged, I ta I thought I tagged Stormfront Freaks in the video as well. Maybe I didn't. If not, I'm sure I could find mm, you. You might have. So yeah. So that was the southernmost point there in Key West, right? So Phil, um, maybe we could pull that one up next time we do uh, storm or porn. Sure. I just <laughs> I, or or I just wanted to ask Serena if that was considered ethical porn. Um, might have been. I don't know what island was it on, Phil. Uh, it's <laughs> good old penis, penis island. Pen island. Pen island. Pen island. Pen island. Pen island. Pen island. 
<laughs> uh, yes, Greg, I do have one, if that's uh, going to be your yes, next that, that question. Yes, that was my next question, Phil. Do All right, so I, this isn't necessarily uh, weather fools, um, because they're obviously serving a huge benefit for all of us as uh, our hurricane hunters are flying over these hurricanes and through these hurricanes and through the eye walls. And I have seen uh, all day today nothing but our hurricane hunters saying that this is one of the craziest uh, storms that they have ever flown through. And so this was a video on on Twitter actually on the hurricane hunter of, of the people that work in the plane. And they're just shaking jumping up and down and and the one thing i'll show you is is right near the end there's a point where they uh they drop drastically and and look at that like he loses stuff on his lap is flying in the air because they take such a huge drop and when you see the look in on their face when that happens and these are the hurricane hunters you you know (laughs) That's a rough look, day at look, the office. Look at the yeah. lightning out the window, too. Oh, right. right. That yeah, moment, right? huge yeah. lightning in the storm. But, Phil, throughout that whole video, they all seem to be really, really enjoying their jobs. Yeah, until that point, until <laughs> right. that one point, it was a little sketchy, but yes. Exactly. Yes. Well, and it was crazy, too, because there's a lot of people, I may be one of them, that are, are huge fans of the Hurricane Hunters, and that's, like, yeah. number four on my bucket list, uh, who's been following a lot of the flights, um, and seen that there were people before they got back that were reporting why did they just drop like 200 or it was like 2000 feet until they were circling the eye wall and the the activity of the aircraft was unusual from other flights like that people were noticing that before they ever got back and so seeing these videos has been really crazy excellent well if you guys want to see any of those videos uh read the story about the doctor doing liposuction during a hurricane <laughs> uh go to the show notes for episode 167 and you'll find them all there send me a postcard drop me a line you've got mail baby yeah oh yeah we got mail after having uh ryan hall y'all on on our show that generated some interest from some folks. So uh, the weather store, WX store tweeted in great interview as always. So thank you for checking in with us. And I can't pronounce this one. I'll just say peach. Yeah. They'll know who they are. Uh, also, <laughs> also tweeted amazing interview. Thank you for interviewing him again, referring to Ryan Hall y'all and uh, fuzzy Mickelson uh, checked in and says, once again, Awesome capitalized awesome episode as always having ryan on the show was amazing need to have him back for a two-time i was laughing so hard at the questions that phil was asking ryan i wish i could have seen his face but i have to wait for the video to upload uh or to be available on youtube so hey fuzzy we have a solution for that become a patreon member and you can see the video right away (laughs) yeah yeah that's right sounds like a drink yeah, fuzzy Greg. fuzzy mickelson doesn't it greg the challenge is on fuzzy mickelson next go. show there you go i like it and uh curtis of course our, our friend curtis uh, chimed in i got a lot of questions about the freaks hat it was a huge success and i'll show you what he means by that if i can find my screen here it is right there curtis and his friends and curtis is uh, sporting uh, the stormfront freaks trucker hat that nice. a boy that i believe was a patreon that is that uh, a boy, Curtis. Thank you, brother. So thanks for checking in, everybody, and uh, filling up the free fan box. 
All right. So, hey, I, I want to use also use this opportunity just to let people know and, and kind of ask for some help. You know, certainly consider donating and helping any way you can. There, we're going to find out here in the num- next couple of days, and then it's this sucker's going to come back, right, and, and hit us on the East Coast. There's going to be a lot of families that were affected a great deal, and, and we just heard from one of them tonight. So um, certainly consider whether you're donating to American Red Cross, Team Rubicon, any other reputable organization, and I, I preface reputable because you have to be careful always when there are disasters like this. There are people that we are going to probably bring up on Weather Fools in the next couple of months that we're trying to take advantage of people. So always make sure you are maybe giving money or donating to a reputable cause. Those are just a couple. But uh, I just want to throw that out there because I'm sure we'll start seeing that uh, here pretty soon. Hey, you, Phil. Any of you guys know? Yeah, know of any? or? Well, I was going to say, I know that Governor DeSantis had said if you want to volunteer to help, they actually have on their site um ways that you can volunteer they have a channel to go through instead of just hey, i'm just gonna pop down there and help out <laughs> that's good Good. that's a very good point there's also the cajun navy i don't know if anyone's heard about that they're very impactful and, and helpful when there's you know these hurricanes hit and there's disaster i think they're talking about mobilizing and helping out florida as well the cajun navy is a, a great resource to donate to as well cool Awesome. So uh, I think that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast. Thanks for listening or watching. And, and before I announce the guest of our next show, again, if you like the show, don't uh, pl- please go ahead and, and don't forget to follow us uh, on your on your podcast player, however you're consuming the show. Uh, just follow us, and, and that just guarantees you're going to get the latest episode as soon as we post it. Because again, like even this one, this is going to be a little different. A lot of times we post on a Sunday. That's not going to be how it works this time because we want to try and get this information out to you guys right away. Uh, but you'll get that if you follow us. Uh, and then also share an episode. You hear a good episode, uh, just hit the share button and and text it to your friend or, or uh, let them certainly know about it. You can also subscribe to our YouTube page. That's where you can watch previous versions of our recordings of Stormfront Freaks Raw, which is the completely unedited version of our show. Uh, you can hear all the great conversations that we have during our typical breaks. We get great questions from our VIPs for our guests. And uh, there's always a lot of hidden gems in there as well. You can find that link at stormfrontfreaks.com and visit that site to also find the Patreon link. That's where you can check out all the ways we can do more with you and how you can also help support the show. Uh, You can find that Patreon link and join the team again at stormfrontfreaks.com. You get access to all of our live recordings, uh, opportunity for exclusive merch, uh, all kinds of cool stuff that we're trying to do. Uh, Special thanks to our in-studio expert, uh, Dr. Jay Hobgood. Dr. Hobgood, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great having you back. So I said we had you on episode seven, and now we have you on episode 167. (laughs) <laughs> so well now we'll try for 327 let's maybe. do it <laughs> let's do it um also special thanks to our call-in guests uh max olson uh scott Sorensen, brandon clement uh thank you as well freaks uh let's find out how people can uh follow and find you greg i'll start with you uh on social media uh tornado greg and uh if you're interested in learning how your camera works CameraEasy.ca up here in Canada. 
Awesome. So I have to be in Canada in order to do no, that? No, no, it's just that's yeah. why okay. it's the .ca. Got it. Okay, MJ. Uh, on Twitter, at MarkStormPod, M-A-R-C. Maz. On Twitter, at MoneyStorm, the number four, the letter U. MoneyStorm for you. Oh, no gang symbols there, Serena. I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> I just memorized now. It's so great. I'm very it proud is, of myself. It is good. All right, Serena, how about you? Everything is Weather Serena, W-X-C-Y-R-E-N-A. Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, Twitter, face, you know, everything, my webpage, find me there. Wow, very good. And, and Dr. Hobgood, I'll ask you too, is there a way that any of our listeners can uh, kind of follow or track you? Well, it's at J Hobgood, H-O-B-G-O-O-D on Twitter, or I have a webpage where I blog about tropical cyclones around the world, not just the Atlantic, and that's just jhobgood.com. Oh, so there, so these things happen all over the world. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Vietnam got hit by a typhoon yesterday. Yeah. A good one at that. It's, it's funny how we get tunnel vision sometimes with uh, just what's, what's happening here weather-wise. But um, you can find me right now. I'm tweeting on uh, our show's Twitter, at Stormfront Freak. Uh, so that's where you can find me. Our next episode, so we're going to be back in two weeks. Uh, recording live on October 13th with Chris Johnson. So Chris is the CEO, listen to this, of the upcoming Weather Champs app. And so what this is, it's an app you can get all your weather forecasts, but you can also compete to win with your own weather predictions. So they're, they're kind of taking a weather app and they're throwing in like a fantasy football app and they're kind of sticking it together into uh, one thing. So um this this sounds kind of cool so we'll find out more about that our patreon members you can join our raw video recording live and of course the edited audio podcast usually we put that up and, and should be available to everyone else the following sunday so unless anybody's got any other uh hurricane ian uh comments or feedback i think i'm going to go ahead and signal the all clear yeah, we'll got catch one. you guys next time Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. And watch our live and recorded shows on YouTube. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you are there, check out our live interactive storm chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.